This week on Trek, Mary Kill, Vidians, Duplicates, Harry! Next. Prepare to come face to face. Another Voyager's right here, right now. With the unimaginable. This isn't that illusion. Two crews, two captains. The lives of both crews are at stake here. One relentless enemy. The Vidians are on the verge of taking over our ship. We can't just stand by and let you all be killed. One chance for survival. You're going to self-destruct your ship. On the next Star Trek Voyager. Trek, Mary, kill. Hi, I'm Brian. Hi, I'm Marina. Welcome to Trek, Mary, Kill, a podcast where we judge episodes of Star Trek like a Vidian boarding party intent on harvesting body parts. I don't know what that means exactly, but I'm, I'm going to go with it. Uh, something I do know is that this week we're joined by Marina Kravchuk, who, according to the internet, is the biggest Captain Catherine Janeway fan on planet Earth. Marina, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I am super excited. I don't know about being the biggest fan, I'm, but I'm think I'm certainly up there, reading somewhere at the top. I think you're in the top five. Of <clears throat> yeah, like yeah, I'll take that. People. I'll take that. According to your social media, it looks like you're a not just a Catherine Janeway fan, but a massive Star Trek fan. You go, you're frequent on the convention circuit. Like you go to as many conventions as you can. It seems like uh, I'm really curious to know. Do you remember what your first convention was or like or maybe what was the experience that hooked you and you were like I got to keep going to these yeah um well con- the first first convention was in 2009 it was called the uh, northeast trek con i think it was one of the smaller uh local convention event trek convention events that creation used to do throughout the year um i think they started out with like i don't know 20 30 it was a lot like especially back in the 90s and then it gradually shrunk and then we would get about maybe 5 6 of them 3 4 and then it all kind of just you know conventions as a whole uh, evolved and we only just had a couple of premier events, including SLV. So that one was a specifically New Jersey one, literally 10 minutes away from my home. And I accidentally discovered that it's going to be on because for a longest time, I was a very much an armchair Star Trek fan. So I had subscriptions to, you know, a Star Trek communicator. I was, you know, buying novels, just generally reading nonfiction books, but I, I it was never, um, uh, sort of conventions were somewhere out there, you know, the, somewhere in the corner of my conscious. I knew people were doing this, but I didn't really know anything about them. And I came across a flyer in Borders. My local Borders made rest in peace. Um, mm. Just that was advertising. Yeah, we're going to be here in Parsippany, New Jersey. Nice little convention headlined by Kate Mulgrew and Leonard Nimoy. And that's as perfect as introduction as I could have possibly gotten. Because that, that's was what, that was your first? Yeah, that's what started me. And, you know, so 2009 <laughs> is not that long ago. We were only talking about, no. about 13, 14 years but you know right now i'm in, i'm up, up to about maybe a hundred cons under my belt so um yeah it, it just it never stopped i think uh, i only did two days saturday and sunday and at the end of sunday i was just standing there thinking like oh my god i have found my people when is the next one so it kind of <laughs> grew from there so i put out the call because the episode we're doing uh you know there's two janeways in this episode and so yeah. i'm like well the only way that we could potentially do an episode about two janeways is to get a janeway super fan so i put out the call online who is the biggest janeway super fan that social media followers or people i'm connected to know your name came up now i'm really curious to know that kate mulgrew was your first convention experience were yeah. you already a kate mulgrew janeway super fan 
Oh yeah. So that's actually, that's why I got interested immediately because I saw her name. Um, I've been a fan ever since, just generally of Star Trek, um, ever since my family came to United States, which was in 1998. Um, I got very lucky because we had uh, reruns of everything. So the original series, TNG, and including the then on still ongoing DS9 and Voyager. So I kind of got hit from you know, mm-hmm. every possible uh, corner. Um, and yeah, I became a, a fan of, well, first the captain and then, of course, Kate. So I, you know, I've gone to, uh, you know, certain uh, events where she would be making personal appearances, certainly plays that she was doing in New York. So it kind of, uh, yeah, 2009 was perfect because it was like, finally, I get to meet her in person. And now it kind of became this thing where, yeah, I do try to attend as many events as she does. Um, This year was unfortunately uh, sparse in that regard, but usually you know, I think it comes out to about three, four times on average per year that I see her somewhere, you know, whether it's a, a reading or a, some kind of a charity event and, of course, conventions. Like, what was it about Star Trek specifically? It doesn't, have, doesn't necessarily be the episode, but like, what was it that hooked you um, that you were like, oh, what is this? I got to keep watching it. Was it was well, it an episode or was there a moment? Um, I think there were actually multiple moments. I think the first thing that kind of uh, made me think, well, this is actually, this is clever. I get what they're trying to do. So nobody explained to me like that, that the Star Trek was basically a parable for modern events and, you know, obviously for each respective series, you know, problems of the 60s, problems of the 90s. Um, I was watching, I think I caught... Uh, the very first one that kind of still stuck in my mind, I, I think it was Let This Be a Last Battlefield, you know, the whole thing with, you know, people with black and white faces. I'm like, well, this is simple, but it's so clever at the same time. So that mm-hmm. kind of stuck. And then um, I watched, um, they showed the, um, um, the Undiscovered Country on TV. I caught it. Now, coming from Belarus, which mm-hmm. is where basically the beginning of the episode, if I describe it to you, you know, two superpowers, a huge uh, <clears throat> accident on an energy producing plant, you immediately think, oh, yeah, we're talking about the beginning of Undiscovered Country. This is the Chernobyl disaster. Mm-hmm. So I was like, this is, was the moment of like, okay, and now I know precisely what Star Trek is trying to do, you know, what they're coming from, you know, telling all these stories, very much trying to reflect you know, the, the society, the culture, the whatever's going to modern day events uh, of, of our time. Um, and yeah, and after that, sort of like the follow up was that was just the saturation. Like I told you, I was yes. hit with all these series. And I remember yeah, I was watching. You had a lot already. Oh, to watch. yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, very much so. And I, I know precisely the episode even that kind of tipped it. Um, I was watching. It was a rerun of Coda which is kind of ironic, you know, the beginning of my fandom and it, it's, it's the episode Coda, um, mm-hmm. you know, where we have, uh, you know, this repeated issue with the Ian and Jane, we keeps dying and dying, dying in the episode. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting there and then, you know, just fascinated by this whole episode and it ended and I was sitting there thinking like, okay, now I have to find out everything that came before this and where this is going. Because at uh-huh. that point, everything that I was watching very... Uh, a chronological. So it wasn't like I'm like, oh, I know this thing is going to be on on this day, this, and I'm going to sit down and watch. No, whenever I caught it and whatever it was, whether it was Deep Sip, Deep Space Nine or a rerun of TNG, I would just sit down and watch it. That's and, the way you after, had to do it. Yeah, but after Man, that point, funny. after that point, it was like I have to systematize it. I have to figure out you know, where it came from, where it's going. Because it kind of silly if you think about it. I, I can tell you that much. There was a moment in time 
where I couldn't tell you if Tasha Yar was actually dead or alive because I haven't seen <laughs> TNG in a row at that point yet. Um, yeah, so now now I know, of course. <laughs> but I yeah, I definitely saw Legacy, the episode with her sister in it, before I saw Skin of Evil. I'm mm-hmm. 100% sure of that. And that was not weird because it was like, I get it. And I did remember that she existed. But I'm like, I wonder what happened to her. Because <laughs> yeah. they don't really but, talk about it. Yeah, so I so totally we, understand. So I reached Dakota. And from that moment on, it sort of became, like I said, I you know I got into the novels and this thing and that thing. And then uh, ironically enough, my, my fandom really exploded with the advent of social media, which is kind of backwards because a lot of people kind of came into social media already being fans, having established networks through either conventions or any of the fan organizations. I was never part of this. And then, of course, well, I I skipped MySpace. I completely, somehow, I don't know, ignored it, I suppose. But Facebook, when it appeared, and it was uh, in the intercollegiate network first before becoming yes. a public entity, that's when it kind of became, that's when I came across other fans and it, you know, the group started growing. And then, of course, the conventions hit for me. And here I am. Yeah, my fandom is mostly online. Majority of people that I've met are through the conventions. And many of them are actually friends that I made online first, interestingly enough. I um, think so that's a pretty normal. The, the Well, welcome. Glad you're here. But like, I think that's not unusual. I think one of the things, the premise of our show, Trek, Mary Kill, like Star Trek is is one of the backbones of the internet. Like yeah. it, it, it goes oh, hand it in hand. So I think, I think fans have found each other through zines and um, conventions from the very start. So I feel like this is a very natural thing that makes you like the purest form of fan basically. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> But if I find it ironic that of all things, I mean, everything that Star Trek has predicted, it actually did not predict internet of all things. I mean, we have the, this massive, you know, the, the, the library access and everything, this massive, you know, uh, informational libraries that, you know, the, the ships operate with. But there was never, I mean, I suppose you can kind of say, like, well, Borg is kind of sort of there, all this enormous interconnectedness. But it's not never a direct thing like you have with the wish push doors or, you know, flip phones or anything else. So, you know what, that kind, of, that kind of speaks to some element of the story we're about to talk about, where yeah. I think what you just said, they didn't, the internet wouldn't have occurred to them, at least the way that we understand it now, because... I think when you know Star Trek comes around, we're not in a mass media culture. I mean, it's starting to happen. Marshall McLuhan's talking about media and all that stuff. Like, so there's an element where Star Trek is coming about as mass media is taking shape. But this idea that then we'd all siphon off and and hew to these communities, the influence of consumerism on those communities, on mm-hmm. digital spaces. Like, I don't think that's because it's like I think they were very like. Well, we're all working together. We're people. We interface with each other on a daily basis. I feel like as time has gone on, we do yeah. that less and we yeah, try not to do it more and more for whatever yeah. reason. Um, it's just, it's, it, it is funny. Like there's somebody yeah. I was speaking recently who um, it was a new fan. They they got through the Kelvin movies and I, they, they mentioned something along the lines. And I've seen this uh, before online and mentioned in print where somebody says like, it's so strange. On one hand, you kind of look like, I suppose, uh, late 80s, so TNG, early seasons, you see Picard sitting in front of his, well, basically a laptop. Looks perfectly normal. Meanwhile, internet as we know it in its, you know, usual uh, user interface, the way we got used to in the late 90s and now, 
doesn't really exist yet. It's all message boards and everything. Uh, and then, you know, they, somebody writes a report and they have to download it into a separate pad and physically bring it over. It's like, why don't you just email it? <laughs> but it's not there yet. Um, so it's the irony of Star Trek kind of like, but it still hangs on. You're like, if you look at it, the, the, the legacy, specifically the TNG era, um, you know, yeah, the early seasons of TNG are starting to get creaky a little bit, but otherwise it, it remarkably aged so well. You still watch the DH9 Voyager. It's like nothing really jars the eye really yet. Um, because yeah. I, I find, I find that I find it now hard to actually watch the original series. If, if you know, a lot of things kind of glare in your face where it's like, oh my God, it's made out of wood and string, you know, <laughs> you can see. It. Well, to, yeah, to me, I think it's time capsuled nicely and there's a lot of like really interesting filmmaking. It's shot on film, yeah. you know, just but it's, seeing it's, the, you know, again, it's filming, no, I, but it's realistically, yeah. it's the ideas. It's everything yeah, yeah. that it represents that that's stands exactly. the, the test of and time. Performances a lot yeah. of the time, the yeah. really interesting characters. This this week, we're continuing our split in two theme month with Deadlock, the 21st episode of Star Trek Voyager's second season, written by Brandon Braga, directed by David Livingston. It premiered on UPN March 18th, 1996. Uh, Memory Alpha describes it, while trying to avoid Vidian territory, Voyager is nearly destroyed by proton bursts coming from an unknown source. What Memory Alpha doesn't tell you is that Voyager has been duplicated by a spatial anomaly like subspace turbulence. And so every piece of matter gets a twin just out of phase. So in essence, two Voyagers are occupying one point in space simultaneously. But what hasn't been duplicated is antimatter. And it's this conflict that creates the episode's problem, which Voyager will survive. Uh, so... You are the Janeway super fan. I'm so glad you're on. But I, I actually now detour a little bit from the episode. How many autographed photos of Kate Mulgrew do you have? Um, well, specifically photos, it's hard to tell. I can tell you that I was trying to kind of go through in my mind. I mean, otherwise I have to like literally unpack everything and look for every single one. I have at least 30 autographs overall. And that's everything that I accumulated myself in person, something that was gifted to me or I wanted an auction or things that were, you know, I purchased or, you know, lithographs. Most of the lithographs I have in my Connect connection that have Voyager characters on it uh, came pre-signed. So, yeah, it's about 30 and that's everything. That's photos, books, um, as I mentioned, lithographs, banners, posters, um, just random miscellaneous and, uh, you know, playbills from theater. Um, okay, so this uh, isn't you going up to her 30 times and asking, so she's not like, I think I recognize you now. You've gotten my, well, like, so it's not that She situation. recognizes me. All right. We've actually had, I have, I've been very much honored. I've had, you know, lunch with her several times. And uh, so she does recognize me. Um, but no, it's, it's, it, it just naturally that comes up. I mean, I don't get an autograph at every possible uh, opportunity. It just, uh, you know, it started out very yeah, naturally, yeah. you know, like a new fan. You know, I wanted to have an autograph photo. I wanted to have an autograph or action figure. So I got those and everything else kind of accumulated as I was just generally going through um, basically collecting autographs. I have majority of my autographs are in the 1999 edition of Star Trek Encyclopedia, which covers the bulk of the mm-hmm. legacy, excepting, of course, Enterprise. So I had to be very mm-hmm. creative with how to get Enterprise people in it. Um, so, you know, little bit, a little, you know, obviously, like I said, playbills, that sort of a, a thing that naturally happens when you go to a theater and you try to meet the actor afterwards at the um, uh, stage door. Um, and uh, yeah, that's how it, it got there. Some of this stuff was just 
purely random, you know, thankfully one of my, well, now a good friend, he found out that I was a big fan. He won uh, a banner and a, a, a autograph ticket at during the convention for, uh, I think it was William Shatner, Kate, and then they, they were at the convention. But he was really wanting the banner that was signed by Avery Brooks, who's unfortunately no longer doing in-person appearances mm-hmm. at conventions. And he was like, I just want this. And then find me a big Kirk fan and find me a big Janeway fan and you guys got it. And so, you know, thankfully, you know, kindness of it at the time, a stranger who became a good friend, you know, I ended up with a lovely banner that Kate signed for me, you know, size of a queen size bed bag. Actually, I, I have no room in oh, my wow. house to hang it. So it's like, it's nicely rolled in the closet, but it's like, it's random things that come up like this. Um, I think the last thing that I had signed was a lovely photo that I found the project that she did with, um, I think she was supposed to, I'm not sure if the project actually happened or not, uh, with Anthony Rapp, which I find a, a, a delightful thing right now where we have this crisscross from the legacy era of Star Trek and the modern uh, productions, where it's like, you know, with the legacy, it's a little bit easier. They're all contemporaries, all the actors. So you see them popping up in, you know, in different projects together. That's easy enough to find a picture, you know, somebody from Deep Space Nine, from somebody from, you know, the, the next generation. Uh, what about now? So I found this thing. I'm like, this is delightful. You have, you know, Captain Janeway and, uh, you know, so you, you have Kate and, and Anthony in one picture. So I think that that was a, a lovely little, you know, it's sort of like a Star Trek, but not Star Trek. For me, it's all Star Trek. You can, you can, everything can be connected to Star Trek, right? Let's face it. Oh, I mean, that's the premise of this show is like, it's all Star Trek, but some of it's better than others. And we just, we, we love it all, but we, you know, sometimes we have harsher words and sometimes we have kinder words. I have to say that before we go on, if people have never seen Kate in person, I highly recommend that you do because it is an experience. She's probably one of the most, truly, one of the most extraordinary people I have met. And I've met some pretty crazy, pretty people. Well, this is what I wanted to talk about. So, like, uh, my regular co-host, Kristen, and I, we are very firm on she is the best part of the show, of Star Trek Voyager. Kate Mulgrew, Captain Janeway, which I admit, as a teenage boy at the time, I didn't hate Captain Janeway. I just always, like, why do they write her this way? Captain Picard would have gotten them home by now. Kirk would have got whatever. Like, but they're Mm -hmm. writing the premise it was had nothing to do with her performance. And then as you get older, it's like, she's great. And then you also read about all the behind the scenes stuff. And it's sort of like, you never see Kate Mulgrew sweat, like whatever's going on in her personal life. It never really, she's Janeway through and through, but is there something, I don't know, I guess, what, what would you say? Is there for some actors that we all love, there's stuff we can really just talk about. I want to just like, kind of give you the lane here. If you want to just talk about how great Kate Mulgrew is as a performer or as Kate, uh, Captain Janeway in, uh, gen- specifically, if you want. If you've never read pretty much anything that she had talked about, especially she's, um, the ultimate form, I think of performer because her dedication to the craft, the discipline is extraordinary we're talking, you know, superlative levels of dedication to what she does. And in that regard, I think she is greatly underappreciated because, you know, you you look at things like, I mean, if you've ever seen everything that she's done post-Voyager, for example, whether in theater or on TV, it's exceptional. And yet somehow, you know, a lot of people kind of seem to be unaware and then they catch it later on years after the fact. And it's like, oh, this is amazing. Yeah, where were you? <laughs> um, uh-huh. And uh, she's extraordinary to talk to as well. I keep repeating this word extraordinary, but she is, she is an, an incredible person. Um, he, like I said, I've had the honor and the pleasure of meeting her in person and actually speaking with her, having uh, the discussions. Uh, it's, you, I can't quite you know, verbalize precisely how um, 
it is an experience. If you have an opportunity to ever see her on stage, whether she's just talking at the convention, answering questions, which she, all, she as far as I know, she she enjoys. She enjoys this whole concept with which she has the outreach. She has she can have a conversation with the fans during the convention. She she enjoys Q and A's. Um, you know, do so if you can see her at a charity event doing a reading of a play or, or something like that. Uh, it is highly enjoyable. It's it's uplifting. It's incredibly educational a lot of times because she's fantastically smart. She has a lot of things to say. So well, I can, even I can, on the Star Trek level, she's because I didn't know how to pronounce oh, yeah. Vinrick's name until she told everyone yeah. how to pronounce it. Correctly. Yeah. Well, that's and that's another thing. She, <laughs> along with um, Patrick Stewart, every time the subject matter, you know, like because they're they're well known enough outside. You know, again, like for example, theater. They're great theater actors and. It comes up, you know. I've seen um, interviews with them where somebody would just kind of try to poke fun a little bit, especially at Trek fans. You know, like not Star Trek necessarily as a franchise or as a production, but you'll be like, "Yeah, you have to be dealing with all these guys." And both of them, and, and you know, I've heard it. She would say, "He's like, no, 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 no." It's like you don't understand. You know, they, there's this uh, acceptance, uh, respect, and love to the fans. It's there. It's very real. It's genuine. There is a real appreciation to like the, the fact that they got all of this thanks to the fans, and they continue, you know, to have this this kind of um, relationship going. So I'm, you know, like I said, this year was a little bit sparse in terms of her personal appearances for various reasons, um, not the least of which is, of course, the strike. Uh, but I'm really looking forward to the convention circuit. You know, in the following several years, I'm looking forward to seeing her at the conventions again. She is so staggeringly Irish that <laughs> she reminds me of all of my aunts. And it's just... It's oh, she, sometimes and she loves it, Ireland. And she loves oh, Ireland. Yeah. It's just yeah. Sometimes I'm just... In her public appearances and their public side, doing interviews and stuff, I'm just flat-footed. I'm, I'm caught off guard. I'm like, oh, I'm in Christmas suddenly. What happened? <laughs> so, uh, so she's... She's very fascinating. Yes, uh, we've talked in our drone episode, you know, a lot about all the behind the scenes there. So we won't have to get out, get into any of that. But I'm wondering, do you remember her telling any specific stories about this episode? Deadlock, no. A lot of times, uh, like everything that comes up is the technical side of it, because even though the green screen obviously was very much in use by that point in time in the mid mid nineties, nevertheless, it's still technically challenging enough, especially when you have to act. And in this particular case, I mean, it's not like she's playing herself like in the end game, you know, young Janeway, old Janeway. They're separated by something. It's literally the same Janeway. They're identical copies of each other. You know, it's, it is very difficult to pull this off and make it look natural and organic. So I think this comes up very often. So I've never heard any kind of like, oh, this thing happened. I know there was a story that uh, uh, came up with like certain the way they were filming. And I'm sure we're going to talk about this a little bit later. But I mean, in her case, yeah, it's always the same thing that came up that this was a challenging thing to shoot and she enjoyed it greatly because, again, this was an acting challenge to pull this off and make it work. The only other actor she respects as much as herself. Herself, <laughs> she said. But she she said she quite enjoyed uh, mm-hmm. in and for the season two DVDs, she said, Janeway against Janeway, talk about green screen, split screen, every yeah. conceivable kind of screen. I was acting within an eighth of an inch. I loved doing that episode. So I just I just wanted to point that out because it's always fun when you hear actors talk about their process or acting against people. And she's she even goes so far as to say to play against yourself, creating yourself 
it was the most arduous and possibly the most satisfying work I've ever done technically. So, I, I mean, yeah. there, it's funny to think about, like, from a comedy standpoint of, like, actors are very full of themselves, get highfalutin. So it was like, it, it'd be funny to make fun of her and say she's saying, like, I, I acted against the greatest performer I know myself. But what she's <laughs> saying is exactly what you said. She's like, it's very hard to do this technical stuff. And in this case, I was having to play myself twice with the tech stuff. And she thought she pulled it off. And I think she did, too. It's fantastic. It's spectacular. And I'm sure we're going to be talking about the great scenes. And we got to talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Uh, So uh, let's see here. Do you remember the first time you saw this episode? That's another question I like to ask. Uh, It was. I can tell you that it was definitely 1999. Uh, Again, because I only came to U.S. in 98. There was no way for me to see it in 96. Uh, So I definitely saw it as a rerun sometime in 1999. That's as, as close as I can get. So I remember watching this very clearly. I remember coming into it late because we didn't have DVRs and all that stuff. So I was like, oh, I got to get back and (laughs) make it home in time to watch it. And so I remember that I missed like the first couple of minutes. So I didn't quite understand what was going on. Like I missed the first act and it's a long first. uh, It's a long teaser, seven minutes. And the first act is very short. Mm -hmm. So I'm literally coming in after the credits and it's like the ship's blowing up around them the baby dies like all the stuff and i don't but it's like it's a good thing it's recapping what's happening but i remember this is a i was very much again a teenage boy at the time and any of these techno babble sci-fi versions of star trek because this is a brain and braga episode through and through so you've got like cause and effect and timescape any of these like techno babbly action episodes i'm like in it's like right on my wavelength. And so I was pretty obsessed with this episode. And you said you watched this a couple of times before we recorded. I yeah. tend to watch these four or five times sometimes before we do these episodes. But at the time and then like the months following, I broke the tape practically watching this, rewatching this episode because <laughs> it was so quickly paced, so exciting. Uh, there was just a lot. Of, it was such a cool premise. Um, these two ships and they've got the one antimatter supply. They're just out of phase. And, you know, the whole thing with the Vidians, only seeing one of them, the nice twist. Uh, I thought it was great, but I wanted to use this moment to then kind of expand on the Brandon Braga idea. Um, it, I think this represents the best of what he does. It, mm-hmm. And I think it's just, he hadn't become Voyager showrunner yet. I don't think, I think that would happen either three or definitely season four. By yeah, it was later. Was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't quite overworked. And so I kind of feel like this is the peak of his crazy wackadoo ideas. Uh, Not to say there wouldn't be other ones better, but like basically through TNG to this point, this represents like the purest one to the point where he even says it himself. I don't actually have the quote on on the tip of my tongue, but basically like you could have done this with any of the Star Trek crews and it would have worked. And I think that's Mm -hmm. what's pretty brilliant about the conceit is that it actually that's entirely true. I think it's why it was good that he and Ron Moore were writing partners or why they made such an interesting team on D- on TNG because Bra- Braga was basically the ideas guy and Moore was the character guy. And uh, and so so when he wrote Braga on his own, sort of these contained ideas, he could really explore some interesting dimensions with just his own idea and and not have to deal with the characters. <laughs> like I get, there's not a lot of characterization well, in this episode. There's good performances. But you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not about the characters. 
It's just oh, about just, the idea. I mean, you have some, uh, I would argue that there's maybe some character growth for the Doctor, for example. But you're absolutely right. That's what he's done amazing stuff with this, what we're talking about, the high concept. And that's yes. precisely it. It's one of the episodes that is precisely that, pure Brandon Braga, high concept. But it's also coupled with incredibly good execution, both in terms of like the actual production, the filming, the obviously the acting. So that's why it works. I mean, we have other examples where, I mean, I suppose I can bring up Threshold. Uh, and I've heard in person, Brandon Braga actually talk about this during STLV, um, probably about seven or eight years ago, where he said, he was like, yeah, he, he, he everybody loved the idea, the concept, this whole thing of, you know, this backwards evolution, basically. And then unfortunately, the story just got worked into the ground because they just couldn't find a way of, you know, doing this, you know, executing it in the same snappy way we have the great beginning and the end to this self-contained story, um, which, you know, did the, the Sorry for the aside about the threshold. I mean, the irony, it's actually an <laughs> Emmy-winning episode, Threshold. Yeah. And I've heard Robbie McNeil say that in terms of acting chops, that's where he got to exercise them the most during this, uh, <laughs> you know, something that's generally considered the nadir of the series. Go yeah. figure. So, but in this case, yes, we, we have this incredible, I, I love it. I love the fact that you have this tension that never lets go. We start with... You know, it's wonderful. The baby's about to be born. And then it just this gallop, neck-breaking pace that continues on through the entire thing until the end. You have great use of misdirection. Because that I remember when I was watching it, that I, yeah. I, I literally gasped, I think, when I realized what was going to happen. And, you know, it's, you know, the, as a general thought, this, this is a great thing when you have all these little bits and pieces really falling into place. Um, you know, Janeway getting to science a bit, you know, you have um, something I already mentioned, the fact that it's it's not like we're dealing with this is the original Voyager, this is the alternate Voyager. It's the same Voyager. So there's like, there's no plus minus first second, you know, it's the same thing. How is it going to work out? It's a little bit uh, a twist on the usual, you know, we, we, we have a copy of somebody story. Uh, That's a great point, but we're also yeah. inching closer to if you did this episode today, what might be different based on that? Yeah, and the, the last thing just to kind of finish off, like I said, my general thought about this thing is the episode that proved what a killer chemistry Kate has with herself. <laughs> Again, as a precursor <laughs> to Endgame, it's almost like a given, but like, it's it's spectacular. It's spectacular. I mean, it's not fair because she's far and away the best actor on the show. It's far unstoppable away. force it's against the unstoppable <laughs> force, basically. Am I right? <laughs> I mean, to some degree, I am, I am dissing the rest of the cast. It's not like there aren't other good performers on there. Once Jerry Ryan joins... But I mean, like once Jerry Ryan joined the show, she was automatically the second best actor on the show. You know what I mean? Like that's where it kind of landed. And I guess it's like, yeah, putting her putting Janeway in a scene against herself was like a novel idea that I'm sure once they did it, they're like, why didn't we do this earlier? Or why don't we do this more often? But, but also, no, you know what? I am glad that they didn't do it more, more often because sure, it would have literally, it would have, it would have, I think killed the shin a little bit off of this whole thing. a good thing yeah. for sure. But, you know, having said that, I mean, Voyager was a great uh, ensemble show. Anyway, you look yeah. at it, you know, a lot of stories, even if they were, uh, you know, an episode that was specifically concentrated on this one character, where it was the captain or any of the um, others, I don't know, Taurus, or Paris, you know, you pull the thread. If you get anyone out of it, you know, the whole thing would unravel because it was truly an ensemble show. It was a good acting crew. And, you know, they, you know, led by Kate. 
So this this whole thing really worked and people kind of forget about it and tend to think like, oh, it's the show that was just about the captain, the doctor and seven. No, you had everybody else. You had great character arcs for, you know, like speaking of tourists in Paris, they probably have the most complete, you know, start and end with a lot of character development over seven years. You so know, you're, <clears throat> you're reminding me that my my beef is less with the actors and more to do with the writing because mm-hmm. it doesn't it I feels agree. like very yeah. easily they didn't really have a sense of what these characters should be. And I think many Voyager actors over the years were basically like I'd ask and they would just tell me, well, just be yourself. And it was basically they got all cast on their screen personas and their look. I- and yeah, then there was, I, the writers had no idea what these characters were, which is. Tough. I think it was partly, you know, because we are dealing with, you know, TNG was, you know, with the standalone stories going through, it wasn't serialized like Deep Space Nine. Voyager went back to the same scheme. So I think it was partly the victim of that, where you had, you know, somebody coming in writing a great story where you could say, well, not only does that contradict something that happened, you know, two seasons ago, you know, the, the, the character is not really behaving like they, you would expect them to do. And that's, you know, it kind of. Well, I'm sure everybody has heard about like, oh, yeah, even Janeway herself is like, you know, he's possibly having a bipolar disorder or something because she's behaving completely. In one case, you expect her to do this and she does something else, despite of having done this already previously and acting inconsistently. That yeah. has happened, sadly. Uh, but and so I agree. It's it's partly uh, it's it's obviously not the production and not the acting. It's it's uh, uh, the, the source material that occasionally really through in the range. Just to close the loop on Brandon Braga's contribution for this one, though, he just, what you said, you really liked the twist about where it was going. <laughs> yeah. But the, the mid episode twist of the act is basically when we oh, find yeah. out there are two, he goes, he said in captain's log supplemental, the unauthorized guide to the new Trek voyages. I just thought it would be really bizarre if you told the story for an actor two, and suddenly you found yourself in the middle of a different story on a different Voyager, but they're occupying the same point of time and space. We needed a show that was pure action and pure high concept sci-fi. And then EP Jerry Taylor said of it, it was one of those intricate little puzzles that Brandon loves to do. <laughs> so, yeah. so I just thought it was fun. And, and again, though, and all of that uh, action adventure, high concept sci-fi, this was not like, I really wanted to do an episode that gave us an interesting look at Janeway, or I really wanted to challenge our crew, like to see them yeah, grow it's, in it's an emergency. A good story. Yeah. And just, uh, <laughs> he's oh, like, I want to do something cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's it, a puzzle. It has nothing to do with the story. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, uh, I, I'm amazed at how he managed to do that. And it's like, yeah, there was, I, I believe there was a similar concept that what they were trying to do and it was scrap for TNG. So they reworked it and it worked on Voyager. But generally speaking, yeah, it's telling great stories. Let's talk about the, 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 some of the specifics because I want yes. to bring up something about Go the whole Technobabbly thing. Yes. Um, so we talked about how it's super fa- fast-paced and uh, I'm sure you're, you've read that they actually filmed it so fast they were super short on time which i find somewhat ironic considering how much is actually happening in this episode so um i believe they even like they had to shoot like a day and a half extra in order to to get to the precise number of minutes that they needed for the full episode length yeah so in production times you, you most of the time you go over like everyone who makes tv or makes film you know the basic general rule of thumb is a page a minute i'm sure everyone's heard that yeah but you look at shows like better call saul those scripts are like 40 pages and the episodes are like 50 minutes so it depends on how they play so like mm-hmm. the page could just be a page of description but it's all very deliberately paced pacing's important 
And Livingston, like you said, shot fast, a lot of wonders, a lot of whipping around. Um, but he staged it so effectively with such energy. And, you know, Marina, I was thinking about that for that very reason. I think a lot of that had to do with the technical stuff. There wasn't it wasn't just the Janeway Janeway green screening. There was the doubling of Kess. There were the visual effects that had to be done mm-hmm. you know, with the time distortions uh, on, you know, then there was the switchover of the sets. They had to have the clean version of the of Voyager and then the the damaged version of Voyager. So I think he kind of blocked it in mind of like, we need to shoot it quickly in case there's any of these, you know, technical mm-hmm. uh, hangups yeah, yeah. that happen. Um, and, and I think that was such a brilliant job though, because you're watching it and there's nothing that bumps you. Like there's nothing yeah. like, that's weird that they shot it that way or why are they over here? Um, yeah. It all was very deliberate. And on top of that, considering that they had to add all this, throw in all these extra bits, uh, nobody actually knows which ones were. I mean, unless somebody has. I have, a, the, I have a theory. I have a couple of theories all later. I, I have a couple of guesses. But it's yes. just like I, I've always wondered, and I, I need to ask Larry Namachuk if he's aware of there is a version of the, like the, the different versions of the screenplay, you know, with the color pages, just to kind of, like if somebody has it, just to see what exactly was thrown in, because you can't tell. Like there is, a, like I said, there are maybe like two scenes where I'm like, this may have been extended to to add on the minutes, but realistically speaking, it's so smooth. You know, the action just runs in without any kind of like, you know, you know, dips and valleys. It's all a very smooth action all throughout. Um, I'd love to know if there's, you know, what exactly got thrown in. Let's do our our guesses when we talk about the great scenes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, any other specific thoughts about this episode? Um, specific thoughts? I, spe- well, as we said, it's a high concept thing. Uh, we have a lot of seeing that we are. Um, I, I I have to say that by the time we reached Voyager, the amount of techno babble obviously increased because the world building reached, you know, within the Star Trek universe reached such. Uh, degree that you know you almost can't speak without mentioning some kind of a you know multispectral analysis of something um and with this particular episode like we have a ton of it there's you know the aps conduits rupturing primary systems are offline and phase discriminators and whatever um but it it works within this same you know the, the the pace, the action, everything. All this techno bubble falls in. So even though you're not really probably fully consciously thinking like what exactly is multispectral analysis on subspace turbulence, it works within this this whole thing. Having said that, if once you sit down after you've watched the episode, and I, I remember that happened when I watched it originally, you kind of start thinking like. All the little things that kind of like this is what the action of the episode hinges on. Like, why? Why does that, like, why is that? Like, the, the, the very beginning, and this is actually funny because I remember there were a lot of discussions online about this. The beginning of the episode, you have poor Ensign Wildman sitting there trying to have her breakfast or oh lunch, whatever gosh, she's having. Yes. And Neelix keeps bugging her about fixing things. She's, like, I am sure, seeing that Voyager in this situation where they only have 150 plus minus people to deal with, I'm sure they put in cross-training in place right away. Nevertheless, she's a xenobiologist if memory serves right. What on earth does she have to do with operations or engineering? So yeah, he would have to reach out to Kim probably and maybe to Taurus to have the stuff fixed and they could be very busy. Why wouldn't there be an operations staff member or an engineer to come in and fix this? Why is he bugging a heavily pregnant xenobiologist to fix stuff in the galaxy? I promise we're going to talk about these two things in later of the greats because I flagged both things, the Technobabble and Neelix that you mentioned. Yeah, and just Uh, a little little thing that kind of like, you know, 
the, the whole thing of existing in the same space time. Like, why is it, you know, the Vidians can detect, can detect the second ship and the explosion doesn't really affect anything else except one of the voyagers. So next time I see, like, I know the perfect person who can probably come up with the answer and make Brennan Braga's made up science work. And then Dr. Erin McDonald, whenever I see her last, I need to ask. I'm like, how? How does this well, work? Okay. This so make? I thought I was thinking about that too, because they're out of phase. So being out of phase, I can see insane, how that. But yeah, it's a good, it's in- like good luck. Like they could, like the Vidians could see that Voyager was going through some shit. Like they were, they were out of phase, but they didn't detect from that that there were yeah. then the matter was doubly duplicated. That yeah, makes sense to me. Yeah, considering there was, is a spatial rift between the two, so they had, for all intents and purposes, a physical connection. So. Yes. It gets described as a. It gets described as like Siamese twins sharing a heart. Now, why would an antimatter explosion not cause problems for the other phase ship? Is is an interesting question. There's also a a weird continuity error where they have basically the damaged Voyager evacuates everyone to a couple of decks, and then from the clean Voyager. Uh, Janeway and Kess, when they go to the damaged Voyager, should be going on a deck that doesn't have life support. That's very true. Yeah. So I mean, like, there's just like little things like that. But it's also this? like mirror, mirror. Remember mirror, mirror when Kirk yeah. and, and the yeah, yeah, being yeah. back and like, well, what happened? The other side was supposed to go back too. Exactly. They have to get on the transporter pad. And it just and sometimes you just have to go with it. I here's think. here's another one. Here's another one. And this is something that um, actually got. I think it got used later. But before this particular moment, any time that the captain would said an order destruct, you would have another senior officer concur. Right. Oh, that's uh, just because they're dead. That's my that's for me, I, Voyager. You had to do some some light uh, hacking. I mean, well, we so can like, do all sorts of you know, head cannon, yeah, jumps <laughs> and and how to. But it's one of those things. Where I'm like, oh, that's funny. Is it because it's a smaller ship? Is it because yeah. they're in this situation where stuff can happen at any moment? Then she needs to be like, go, go, go. I'm not gonna go around looking for Chakotay to have a concurrence. Well, the, bio, the bioneural gel packs are gonna be like, wait, yeah. Chakotay's the first officer. Wasn't he the guy we're going after to find <laughs> that's with Tuvok? Like, yes, it I'm, would be like uh, that guy's a criminal. He's not the first officer. Something else, like, you know how I said this, you know, that I love the fact that it's it's identical copies. It's not like Voyager from now and from five minutes ago. It's exactly the same Voyager, same people, same everything. There's a moment where the, <laughs> I, the, the episode itself kind of very briefly forgets about it just because of the running gag about doctor's name. Yes. There is a moment where the doctor asks him, I was like, well, that other doctor, my counterpart, did he have a name? It's like, it's literally you from two hours before. Yeah. <laughs> I that, doubt so that, that would have been the joke. That's the, if, but they, the, Brian Brog is not a comedy writer, but that's what <laughs> Harry Kim would have said. <laughs> but it just, it cracks me up. I'm like, they're literally identical copies. It's not yes, the original and the same, alternate. Yeah. They're not like separated by, I don't know, 20 years or something. It's you from two hours ago. All right. Yeah, we're about so, to get into the grades, but grades, with yes. That, I want everyone to have this thought in mind before we jump into them. This episode was voted the best episode of season two in a contemporaneous fan poll that Jerry Taylor had paid particular attention to. Uh, this is what she said in, to Star Trek Communicator. It's an issue 108 if someone wants to pull that up, but voted the best episode of season two. Perhaps controversial, but I just want everyone to have that in mind as we get into the grades. So uh, great scenes. If you want to start us off, Marina, what did you? Oh, absolutely. Uh, So there are three, I feel, high points. You know, the stuff where, you know, it's this bang, bang, you know, like, oh, gosh, what's happening? Uh, First one is, of course, the switch over. 
when you go from the, you know, the, this complete destruction and the ongoing, you know, falling apart of everything. And then all of a sudden, speak and span, you know, you know clean bridge, and everybody's just doing their stuff while going through the, the, the this proton procedure, burst procedure. And uh, that was a great thing, because that was the moment where you're kind of like, what's happening? Am I just, am I, did we switch to a different episode? What, what's going on? Um, the absolute, you know, apex is obviously the two genies together. That moment. Let's hold it, for that for a moment. Because yeah. maybe we can save that to the end because that's unequivocally the best. The, the, it's the apex. I think it's, 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 it's sheer brilliance. And then, of course, the bait and switch moment. That's number, like I'm telling you, when I watched it originally, I gasped because I was like, I, I, wow. I yeah, you're down, the, you're down yeah. the line of like, okay, this beat up Voyager is going to have to blow up. And then, yeah, nope, yeah. One no, that's no. Fine. And then like, I, was, I kept thinking like, well, how? This is just completely, and then the Vidians and everything. Oh, goodness. Uh, so yeah, that was, so that's the three sort of, I mean, there are other moments where, like I said, I, I really like the way the doctor kind of is more humanized in this yeah, episode. With his, moments. Yeah. It's very empathetic. Yeah. I love the fact when you have um, via screen jumping between the two Janeways and the tutorial is you know working together that that was lovely but those three are probably like that's the standalone that's sort of like the three hinges of this uh this whole episode yeah so this one was a little tricky for me because for me like a, a scene is like a complete dramatic scene which the janeway versus janeway is but mm-hmm. like to me the seven minute teaser is largely set up and it's not like it's unmemorable or bad it's just like you're clearly just getting through these beats there's nothing like the drama is in what's happening. She's having a baby. There's we've there's the spatial rift. We need to get away from the Vidians. I didn't register any of that as great. It's like you're watching it and it's fine. But the when you come back from the credits, the first act, because the teaser was so long, the first act is actually really short. It's four and a half minutes. Mm-hmm. Like the credits barely finish before we hit the act out again. And I think that whole four and a half minute act one is very exciting. And it's incident- piled on top of incident yeah, the ship's being hit with proton burst. Mm-hmm. yeah there's a lot they don't know where it's coming from there's all these explosions harry kim gets blown into space uh guest yeah. disappears the baby dies that's a bummer uh but you know it's ending on Kess disappearing after all this bad stuff's been happening then there's a weird stuff happening um it was very tense like you said but also stuff is happening and it's all very big. And if you're watching a middle of season two of a show, you figure is going to last several years. You're like, what is going on? This is altering the the fabric of the show right now. And it's all very well done. It makes you think. So it's like, how are they going to like, obviously everybody's aware that, you know, things are going to end at the end of the episode. But at that point, it was like, how on earth are they going to dig out of the situation? It's just, it Uh, it is the, the, the intensity is, is wonderful. So before we just talk about Janeway versus Janeway, mm-hmm. the second scene in Act Two, it's Janeway and Chakotay work together to magnetize the hole, mm-hmm. and then Tuvok gives this damage report, and it's it's cutting back between Tuvok speaking and Janeway listening, and her taking it all in. And Tuvok, if you're like a person like me who had the like technical manual, and you're like big in the techno babble, everything Tuvok is saying is like, that's the worst thing that you could say about the ship. Yeah. That's the worst thing you could say yeah. about the technology. He's saying every bit of the technology is completely broken and maybe irreparable. Oh, and the baby dies, died, and then it just all of it is Janeway's playing this up. That's bad. That's really bad. Up. That's how we're going to get home. And then the baby dies and she's like, I've let this child, you know, like you can see the devastation, but she like, 
Yeah, but mm-hmm. she literally swallows it, which is amazing. And then she's just starts giving out orders and she's not like angry or whatever. She's just like, okay, I got to focus. And then the, the bridge gets hit and there's going to be a whole breach. And it's, it's kind of corny where they're like, Captain, we got to go. And she's just sitting there on her iPad, basically going like, I can seal this breach. Uh, and I just love that she's so confident. And then eventually she, the look on her face is like, like nope, I can't. Yeah, Time to go. Got to go. Yep. yep. <laughs> uh, and so I like that. And then I actually like the um, once they, it's very clever how they set up how the information gets strung out, which is usually a problem with Technobabble of how it gets crammed in. But remember, they're like the sensors are the main sensors are offline because mm-hmm. you have to do this thing. Yep. So Janeway then has to order for the main sensors to go off so that then they can use it and then they can go back and look at what happened to get an idea of why this is happening at all. And I just thought it was cool to pace it out that way. But I like the scene where Janeway, because she's a scientist, She's explaining the Kent State experiment about mm-hmm. duplicating matter, and they figure out what's going on, and then Bolana's chiming in, and everything doubled, and yeah. they get the Siamese twin analogy. I, actually, I have to kind of chime in. I love the fact that it happens uh, several times during the episode, where Janeway is basically serves as the person providing the exposition of what's going on. Like right yes. after they, like right after they find Cass, she's the one in the the like. If you miss the beginning of the episode, I suppose that was the perfect moment where she was basically explaining everything that we know and kind of working out that there must be a second Voyager there. So, yeah, it's it, I think it's it's great. It's great how how she's used both. You know, she's the leader. She's the scientist. She's just basically well running the whole show. That just makes her even closer to Kirk. See, because <laughs> remember Picard, with, they just shunted Picard off to the side at some point and he stopped being the techno babble explainy guy. Um, and and so it was nice to kind of have the captain leading the action, leading the decisions, also reifying that Janeway is the smartest person on the ship, blah, yeah. blah, blah. So, and let's, uh, let's not forget, I mean, that's one of the things that I, I particularly love about the series in general is like the fact that she doesn't have any backup. I mean, I suppose no, you can consider. Check, check. I mean, in terms of in terms of um, consulting with somebody, I suppose Tuvok and Chakoti could be considered sort of peers to go because of you know the length of his career in the in Starfleet and Chakoti. Because I mean, he was a sort of a commander slash captain of his own, both within Starfleet and and as part of McKee. But realistically speaking, otherwise, she's ultimately the one who has to make the call, regardless of what's going on. You know, oh, good, sure. bad, I also whatever. like that yeah, yeah. she doesn't have command or, yeah, exactly. Uh, I like the scene where the two ships finally establish contact. Mm-hmm. Uh, just the little, you know, Mulgrew and Dawson have great chemistry together oh, yeah. and they're just trying to oh, figure yeah. out how to get in touch with the other ship. Uh, and then I actually did like the beat where they tried to merge the ships together and it fails. Just it's like it slows down the pacing, but then it creates another problem. And it's just nice to see that. And then yeah. I promise we're going to talk about Janeway versus Janeway first in a second. But then I just thought the whole last act. So after the Vidians board the ship and we see people getting taken out one by one, and then the whole solution, Harry Kim rescuing the baby and getting back, um, Janeway blowing up the ship, the whole last act. So the first act and the last act, I think, are phenomenal, great scenes. They they are uh, almost as good as the best scene of the episode, which is Captain Janeway going and talking to Captain Janeway. Here we go. Yeah, it is. It is spectacular. I mean, you have to. In the wait. promos, I think it was Janeway versus Janeway was part of the promos mm-hmm. for it, maybe. Yeah. 
when I was younger and even to today, I'm like, it's weird to look at There's, It's off putting the blue screen, the, the double. It's like it's either so well done or there's just something that's two percent off that makes it a little uncanny. But individually, when they get their their uh, close ups, when it's just on either of their faces, what a performance. It what is. <laughs> it, it, but that's, that's what I was saying in the beginning. The fact that, you know, she considered, Kate had considered it to be such a, an arduous uh, experience. But literally, you, it's two people talking. And it's this whole matter thing where it's like you understand that it's the same person. Literally, they're, they're identical copies. They know precisely what the other person is thinking. And yet she's making it different enough where it is two people talking with different tones and different intonations. And, you know, they both have coming from a different set of experiences they just literally had like this this two hour one hour whatever thing where the the everything diverged it's brilliant it's so brilliant let's be honest uh cut on her cheek hair messed yes. up uh jane that was very clever objectively I, the hotter of the two janeway <laughs> well but yeah i, I think it's, it's it was a great idea the fact that they actually did that like i mean they didn't have to give her an injury they could have just messed up the hair but i think it's actually it is a visual clue because i mean you have to tell them apart somehow and you know not necessarily oh, clean janeway versus dirty janeway uh, but in this case it's like yeah this is like you're talking about you can see the experience yes exactly it's, it's more that to signify where they're both coming yeah, from yeah and you know, literally, one is wounded and one is not. So the other, the one that's not, can't understand where the wounded one is coming from. Um, and just you know, just the swagger of telling yourself, you know, I'll do it. Yeah, <laughs> it's so no, great. That's that's what, that's what I'm saying. Like that's the perfect thing. Is that like she? It's it's it, it's exactly. I mean, this there's an ending uh, at the end where she she has a conversation with Tuvok, and is it, I don't know, kind of I don't quite. I don't I don't like that conversation because I think it's not like she was she knew like they both knew even though they had that divergence of experience what the other one would do and then it was just a matter of one up and had the Vidians not showed up yeah the the broken voyager would have been the one to go she would yeah, have made so the call. One, there was like there was no way that both crews were getting out alive one had to go yes um, so and that's someone, true. that's if you're just listening and you didn't watch the episode the damaged Janeway says, like, I'm going to blow up my ship because that's uh, we're tethering you and our ship's not going to make it anyway. Yeah. We can't separate that. We had a thought about trying to separate them, but we can't. Um, so we're linked and we're holding each other back. So no one's going to get home, get back to Earth. So we need to fix that. And that's how we're going to do it. Um, it's I the scene you just pointed out with Tuvok. That is my guess for at least one of the reshoots or uh-huh. the additional photography. That scene looks like it was definitely added after the fact. Um, and then I don't know, what's your guess for one of the, those scenes? Um, I think the fact that we have this very long teaser, I think it was padded. I had a th- okay, so I thought about that. The baby dying seems like a very big part of the story that was built in. So did they... It's not so the dying, not the dying part. It's specifically it's this whole thing with... Neelix badgering Samantha. Yeah, yeah, I'm no, like, no, it's, I it's, get that. So I'm like, yeah. so we've got, so in the regular version, we don't have the bit where she's in the mess hall and yeah. doing, eating and doing the work. It's just that she's, oh, it's time. I'm having my baby. And yep. it's just, it starts with it. That would make sense to me. That, mm-hmm. Then that's an interesting choice. That they So they added two bad scenes is what we're saying. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a little bit silly. That's why it's kind of, that's what made me think is that it was just so like, why is he talking to... Yeah. 
somebody I who's specifically in charge of science rather than fixing, yeah. you know, mechanical things in the galley. I think you're right because it's the thing that stands out. And I think that Tuvok scene in sickbay with Janeway towards the, uh, in the last act that also sticks yeah. out, but I actually kind of liked it because I liked Tim Russ's performance. Oh, yeah, I like that little, fantastic. I like that little, Hmm, he gives, which is very Spock like. And, uh, and I did like him saying, I didn't, I did not envy the paradox of logic you faced and yeah. all that stuff. And, and, I, it was a nice moment between the two of them. Something that I feel like later in the show they would get away from, and and earlier in the first couple of seasons anyway, yeah. they were keen on focusing on no no mm-hmm. no. Janeway and Tuvok are, if not good colleagues, are are friends, and so I think that that having a scene between them was was worthwhile. Mm-hmm. I, I might agree with you that it's not the best scene, but um, I still liked it where it fit in there, and it definitely felt like a reshoot all the same. All right, best yeah. Trek tropes. Ooh, oh, there's a lot. Um, and <laughs> some of these are uh, kind of specific to Voyager, but everything else is, is, is oh, it's, no, for, first of all, we, this whole idea that we have, we have to deal with a copy, a copy in this case of, oh, you know, the ship and, uh, and the entire is crew. Two. <laughs> yeah. So that is spectacular. It's another twist on it. I mean, we've had a whole lot of other, you know, with the evil twins and somebody from the past or somebody from the future and on and on. So it's a nice entry into the whole over of having okay the 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 problem of the week is that we have duplication so that's certainly one um the uh, uh <laughs> number 47 now those who are aware number 47 the star trek number the answer to what's the it's the, the equivalent of to the answer to all the what is it uh, from the the uh it's they had 42 you know you know adjusted for star trek it's 47 uh there's mm-hmm. a whole lot of story most of the 47s that you find uh, during the tng era are specifically put in there and then of course the modern productions kind of followed suit and you know check it out you every once in a while you will see a 47 and there are some people who specifically search for them so there are 47 frequencies that Taurus is using to remodulate so she can bring you know she can contact the other ship and at some point there are 347 Vidians on board so that's a thing uh, very exciting mm-hmm. the one thing that cracks me up now um, I, I lower decks actually poked fun at it with uh, Admiral Bonamigo uh, I believe well, one of the admirals it's the weird pronunciation of sensors. It happens all throughout in multiple series. We have at least one character that pronounces it sensors, not censors, you know. So everybody, I specifically watched, like I said, twice. <laughs> so I can like pick up on these things. Tuvok is the one that does it on Voyager. Every time he has censors, he says sensors instead of the regular pronunciation that everybody else uses elsewhere. Um, and something specific to Voyager um, I already mentioned that at that point we reached sort of critical mass of technobabble. So having a t- normal sentence indicating that something is out of whack without plugging in more technobabble in it became very hard. So they, they had the substitution of some kind of. There used to be several YouTube videos of actually people tracking down how many times different characters said some kind of during the Voyager run. It's incredible. Uh, so in this case, I think we have at least three at some point, Kim says some kind of, and then Taurus says some kind of, and then Cass says some kind of all throughout the, this whole thing. Um, we do get a Captain's Log, but that one only happens like once, and it's a very brief one right at the end to kind of like summarize the whole thing. You know, the repairs yeah. are ongoing. Um, something that's a bit of a 
trope, but it's really, it's just the way the series are filmed. You know, the indication of like, how come we don't have any seat belts? <laughs> Bam! And everybody flies on the floor. And that, it's was, yeah, that was my first one is the starship acting, is the oh, shaking gosh. around. The best one is when uh, when Kate Mulgrew completely stiff Full flattens falls. her back yes. and just like slides out of the chair. That's exactly, it's not even just shaking. It's literally yeah. flying out of the chair and landing on the floor and getting hit on the face. Oh my God, it's, it's great. It's great. Uh, so I think those things that are sticking out to me and, and again, some of it is minor. Uh, there is one trope that I wanted to bring up, but it's kind of, I think it settles both the best and the worst. So I don't know if you want me to kind of leave it off to when we discuss Let's the worst. Or the worst, uh, just real quick. So mine, subsidies, distortions, you mentioned that as part of the splitting, but you know, uh, always creative ways of using subspace in my yeah. mind. Subspace oh, yeah. is basically the force in Star Trek where it can do anything <laughs> you need it to that creates weird things. So I like that spatial flux, spatial scission, and you I know, suppose whatever. kind of phase falls into the yes. same category. Yeah, something exactly. is out of phase, that's it. You have spatial a problem. anomaly. Maybe that should have just been the, the trope is a weird spatial anomaly. Um, a no-win scenario, this kind of definitely reaches that um the the self-destruct um this time not as a bluff usually the trope is it's mm -hmm. used as a bluff here yeah. but she's kind of you know uh damaged janeway is also not bluffing either mm -hmm. neither of them were bluffing because that's why janeway's great <laughs> she does not bluff yeah <laughs> she uh and then and then i actually think that the techno babble the episode only works because of the techno babble yeah. like if you are a locked in teenage star trek fan like i was and you've been watching since next generation like every every star trek noun they're saying every techno babble like you understand it like this mm -hmm. all connects it makes sense oh the yeah. phase discriminator like they used in time zero and time scheme like it all yeah. tracks together and it makes sense where what's going on it's, it's but perfect also world bu building exactly yeah. it's like it's they said it's like you know you run a level to diagnostics like yes of course that's what you do <laughs> It doesn't, but it also doesn't feel crammed. It feels like so much of the direction and the action, it all flows. Like you never bump, you never stop to get a techno babble scene. And I think that's just something that happens later on in Voyager and all the Star Treks are guilty of this, especially when the writers get tired is like, okay, we need to explain what's going on. How do we do that? And here they have like a couple of big moments and then they just kind of need to establish why why it's happening and mm -hmm. it all works. Right, let's yep. get into worst Trek tropes then. What was the one you weren't sure it um, straddles the line? Well, uh, the one that straddles is the, uh, in this case, it's a very prolonged, uh, the glorified red shirt. Now, as far as I recall, the character of Hogan might have become a recurring character. At least yes. I think I've read I've read it in... Um, uh, the, the interviews with producers. Um, but realistically speaking, still, it's a background character that all of a sudden, you know, you get him up front and doing and acting and, and having, you know, <laughs> having actual lines. You know, now in view of almost 60 years of the franchise, you know, when something like this comes up all of a sudden in the episode, uh, now it, it's not he just didn't randomly show up here. He actually had several... Uh, um, standout moments in previous episodes. That's why I'm saying it's kind of prolonged because eventually he did buy the farm. I think he goes into best because he doesn't die, which is that's no, the, but he dies eventually. I'm not in this no, episode, but he dies. In this, episode, in this yeah. episode, he doesn't die, but it is funny. He gets Harry Kim killed. 
Well, to, to, to a certain degree, yeah, yeah. But, it's, he, it's, got, but he got blown up and then was too wimpy to get back up and finish the job. No, so no, he was Kim injured. Can... Come on, he was injured. Not uh, that but, injured, he can still move all four of his limbs. Yeah, but I, I still feel like it's kind of in between because on one hand, it's a very typical retro because eventually he was only – he was in seven or eight episodes. That's when he, he appears, I believe. And yeah, eventually he dies in basics. I'm sorry, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen it yet. Um, but it's it's kind of still there, you know. It, I think it's, and also it, I think it's a, he's uh Torres's assistant for a little bit in this episode yeah. on the undamaged version. And I like the little interplay they have between them because Janeway's like double the, like speed up this process. And then her later order is cancel the process. And both times he and Torres exchange a uh, look. There, the, yeah, first, yeah. the first time it's like, okay, it's going to be more work. And then the <laughs> second time it's like, geez, make up your mind. And it's great. The two of them, I thought they had good chemistry. So like, it's not like a normal red shirt where he's just there. There's just there to die or like yeah. gasp and then die. So I don't know. He had a lot um, to do in this one. Oh, yeah, really? yeah, but eventually it's like it's like is it gonna be the one episode where he finally goes? Maybe no, it's, it was at the end of the uh, season, but yeah, uh, the ones that are a little bit more straightforward. Um, this particular episode, even though like we have this again bre- neck breaking pace of stuff happening, you nevertheless have moments where they speed up the stuff happening in order to get to either the next scene or to the resolution so much that you actually thinking like. How on earth did that actually happen? Like, consider for a moment the, when the the uh, unbroken Voyager is about to set self-destruct. And Jamie literally says, okay, we have five minutes. Mr. Kim, grab the baby and off you go. How exactly is he supposed to do, move through 10 decks from, you know, Sig Bay on deck five to down to the rift on deck 15 in five minutes while making a stop and killing all those Vidians and grabbing the baby in Sig Bay? You literally have this enormous amount of movement literally squashed in a matter of like some hypothetical seconds so he can actually you know we can get to that point where he crosses over and the unbroken voyager explodes the other version is that she sends him with a team and it's paris and she, and like we the people we see die in, or get taken by the vidians in that sequence instead you consolidate it into one where it's a rescue the baby yeah. but, but still it's, it's, it's a lot of stuff happening in a very 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 short unrealistic period of time when it's like and then this thing happened and incidentally yeah. the whole thing with uh the crew getting you know brutalized by vidians kind of falls into the same thing where all of a sudden it's like boom 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 oh they got the ship down from like deck five down to down to to the bottom when Jakuti announces I'm like well that happened very fast um, well there were there were a lot it, of people boarding the ship no, i suppose so. i mean we only see three but yeah again it's yeah. kind of like we may believe that this is happening but it's all happening kind of like hidden and very fast it happens like the thing that comes to mind if you remember the end of uh season one of discovery where you know you're in the middle of you know the war with the klingons and the basic like the last scene of the the uh, the, the, the finale is like and the klingon war ended here's everybody wearing medals <laughs> Again, same thing. Like there is an enormous amount of stuff, obviously, that has to happen in order to stop the war and everything. But everything kind of is hidden and squished into this very short uh, amount of screen time, you know. But so it kind of feels that way, and it it happens. You know, like every once in a while, you're like, okay, and. And now everybody died. You know, it, it's not specific to Voyager again. It's just like I think this is one of those things where like they had to speed it up. Uh, even though, you know, originally they had to put in more, more scenes in. I guess it was nice. the way it's written, where you didn't want to 
kind of show all this running and jumping and, you know, like useless action where, you know, you needed to move the story along. Like the Kim gets the baby and he successfully manages to get to the Voyager. And then the second Voyager explodes, which is obviously, you know, the huge ending to the, uh, you know, the, the bait and switch scene. Yeah. Uh, any other worst Trek tropes? Um, let me see. What else? I have two. It's not really a worst Trek trope. It's really, it's part of the fact that we are dealing with a non-serialized series that has primarily self-contained stories. And that is the fact that we have lack of consequences in the sense of that, yes, you know, it, this is what happened. The entire ship and entire complement of the crew mine. The, the died. reset button. The, re, the reset button kind of sort Yeah, of. On, on one hand, and then and this is going to be something that is part of the best quotes, you know, it's kind of, if you think about it, part and parcel of Star Trek where stuff happens all the time. So, they, you know, in terms of mental health and just generally dealing with the trauma of everything that the Starfleet, you know, um, Starfleet officers have to deal with, uh, you know, it's just not explicitly like, you know, can you imagine? I mean, we kind of have this moment where Kim says, like, I don't know. Am I real? You're real. How does this whole thing works together? Well, Wildman lost her baby, but yeah, then now she has baby. Did, did like, have, yeah, like, did they have the simultaneously? Did they have the funeral for the other baby? I mean, this is hugely traumatic. That, so, and, so to me, that yes, I thought about that, but even in the time and the when it came out, yeah. but I think Janeway's line is actually pretty. What yeah. you say? We'll uh, get it's to that. pretty we'll instructive. Get to I feel like that is part of Starfleet training is to weed mm-hmm. out. Not it's not. I just want to make it very clear for people who you know are mental health professionals or you know they're very aware of of all the literature and research. It's not a weak or strong thing. I just think it's a matter of they are able to process what's happening, and I think the mm-hmm. Roddenberry mode is like they use science to uh, understand what's going on, and so everyone's sort of understanding like there's a five minutes. There's a version that's simultaneous with us, and we kept going. We got twinned, and that's it. And yeah. and the people that died on the other Voyager probably didn't have time to uh, make sense of all that. But at the same time, it's kind of like, well, I am alive, and I'm going to keep going on. It's a weird thought to have because you're not connected to that. You're going to experience dying, but you, through weird confluence of events, have been doubled. And uh, I don't know. The Wildman thing seems like the less seems like the weirdest one that actually affords the least. I don't know, like a weird thing, because certainly there's been situations where women have or when people have given birth and they've thought things are going to go badly and then it turns around. So, you know what I mean? Like how much time has passed right between the baby dying and then like, oh, no, the baby's fine. Like, I don't know. I don't know. It's a weird, it is a weird thing to think about for sure. Um, I've read some nice fan fiction where people kind of try to kind of uh, head canon into like how would, would you know, like specifically in case of uh, Anson Wildman to deal with the fact that baby has gone, the baby's here, you know. But it is her, but like, yeah. like, like that is her baby. baby. And it's yeah. the same baby, <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> and so to me, it's like that. Sometimes it's like, is it worth getting into the weeds about, uh, putting our current selves into these future fictional characters. You know what I mean? Like trying to understand them. Like I would like to think that they think about the world or process events differently than how we do things because you yeah, have to otherwise, do a lot of heavy we, stuff. Yeah, yeah. You have to do. Yeah. And they know how to do stuff. I don't know. I don't know how to deal with the warp field. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of things they have to think about that we don't. Um, so the reset button was one of mine. I know that having an, a fully powered antimatter, store like right they can use the warp engines to make Mm -hmm. replicate stuff and make repairs easily that makes sense 
Um, and then, so that's fine, but I still kind of thought the Voyager reset thing is still kind of a worse trope. Trope. This is actually one of the few times though, where, where we see them repairing damage. Right. Yep. Yep. That's like, right. How often do we see like the end of the episode? They're fixing the, the panels. Going up. Yeah. 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 And obviously it's a stock shot of Voyager that at the time really bumped me where it's like, wait a minute, the ship had all these hole breaches and all this fused nacelles. And it's just the stock shot of when it looks nice. That was weird. But, um, the other worst Trek trip I have is probably unpopular. Neelix. Uh, <laughs> For the exact reasons you pointed out, this pregnant woman is eating. And while she's trying to eat, he, he's like badgering her, not badger. He's Neelixing her, which is like, a, <laughs> he's like almost negging her in a way or just being like, I'm being nice, but you know, I could be annoying uh, to fix his stuff. And she takes the time to like, actually not stop eating and saying, I'll go down to engineering and get the supply you need. And he's like, Oh, before you do that, one more other thing. It's like, how obnoxious. <laughs> and then the, uh, but then the other part of that is when he's in sick bay being treated and the baby is dying, he's letting the doctor treat him instead of saying, don't treat me, go deal with the baby. That's ridiculous. <laughs> it's like, Neelix has a little bruisey on his head and he's just like taking treatment instead of shooing the doctor away. We had just seen the doctor like zipping around, scanning people quickly saying like, that's not that serious. And it was like a broken bone, a broken ulnar and like nothing, uh, Broken arm, so like yeah, no it's big like, deal. It's not there. serious. Move on. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and then like this one has a fused spine, and then it's like Neelix looks slightly ruffled, and that's <laughs> that. Also, might have been a reshoot though, because he's wearing different clothes than he was wearing in the mess hall. Yeah. So yeah. that that could have been a Neelix. Oh, I haven't even noticed too. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then he, and then I wonder if he's wearing his chef's clothes when he's comforting her. So then that had to be a reshoot. Ooh, did I find a continuity error? Didn't even realize it. Because remember when the baby dies, he's wearing the chef's clothes and he hugs mm-hmm. her. But then when he's being treated, he's wearing his normal stupid Neelix getup. So, um, hmm, interesting. Uh, but anyway, Neelix, Neelix might have caused the death of Ensign Wildman's baby uh, <laughs> in the other timeline. Or the other, not timeline, on the other Voyager. Uh, those are my two worst, worst truck jokes. Most of its time quality, uh, Ensign Wildman's uh, delivery was very TV of the yes. 90s. Bush, mm-hmm. you Bush. I'm sick of pushing. Um, I, I kind of miss that for a minute in season two of TNG. Remember when Counselor Troy's giving birth? Yes. They tried to show how deliveries might be a little bit different in the future. And I know then subsequently, even in TNG, they got away from that. I would have liked that they tried to kind of. Yeah, I, I'm way. trying to think if, if they did this. On, I mean, aside from the whole because it was done that way at the time because it was you know a mixed baby so it's like it had to be like horribly dramatic and then of course you know the spikes get you know stuck in the uterine wall and all this oh my god things are going sideways completely so maybe that's why they they did it so it's like you have this intense drama already happening when things go worse uh but yeah that's that's most for sure Uh, in my case that the most of its time and it's uh again it's not specific to voyager like the entire 90s track was like this is all the characters are standing unbelievably incredibly close to each other in the shot it's like literally so you have like more than two or three i mean even though like the, that spectacular scene with with two janeways there is that one shot where they, they, they they're looking at each other it's almost like are they gonna start hugging right now because they're literally standing like less than a foot next to that's each other in, so in that uncan- i think that's what creates the uncanniness about it because no, but but it's not just that like uh, any um, so close. 
there is a moment where uh, it's the broken Voyager. They're in, they already transferred all the controls, all the, you know, the bridge functions to engineering. So they're in engineering and there is, uh, I think Chakotay and Paris and Kim and I'm not sure if Paris is there actually, sorry, but definitely Chakotay is there, Kim is there, Janeway is there, Taurus is sitting in front of the screen and they all, you know, discussing this whole concept of like, oh, how is this happening that we have two ships in one space-time continuum spot? And literally, they all squashed, they all literally standing in that little, I don't know, five by five little area in front of the uh, console. Um, so yeah, so that's that's there, and it's it happens several times during the the episode. But it, that was the way that it was shot, you know, like that we have the what, same thing that, in that TNG. Was the frame. And, yeah, that yeah, was the frame. that was the, like, you have to frame it this way. But it, it's funny when you kind of try to concentrate. A lot of times you don't notice it because again, action is happening, wonderful acting, great story. But sometimes you kind of like if you take my, your mind out of the story and you look at where's the light coming from? How are they standing? And you all of a sudden realize like, well, that's a weird way of talking with your superiors, like literally standing toe to toe. (laughs) (laughs) I put this on here. I wonder, maybe you could say that's no, or maybe you can say yes or no, but the men saying, how are we doing to Ensign Wildman, meaning the baby. And then the doctor saying like our baby and being almost insistent upon it. I don't know. I don't do people yeah. still do that today. Do men still do that today? I don't, I, don't I know. really don't know. Yeah, um, well, in doctor's case, it kind of felt like, yeah, I mean, I, didn't Janeway also say something along the lines like when they waiting Janeway for had the a thing. really nice line she was yeah. like I, um like our first baby aboard it's yeah, I feel like yeah. it's different with the captain and being like I didn't this isn't supposed to be a generation ship but you know what I mean like yeah uh, I just I, you know in terms here. of dog doctor I think I kind of felt that you know he was taking everything that was going on under his purview yeah personally no, it was a, it's a good doctor episode yeah i i agree with you he had like a different we saw different sides of him this time there he was, was a, not obnoxious yeah yeah there was a wonderful like you know, you know is the baby gonna die and he's like not if i can help it you know it's yeah. a total you know his empathy was really up this this episode now it's time for the line must be drawn here great <laughs> lines all right go yes. ahead well we must say this because i feel this is probably in top 10 lines that came out of Voyager in general, and that is, we're Starfleet officers. Weird is part of the job. <laughs> this is right. basically Captain Janeway giving you a characterization of the entire Star Trek franchise right there <laughs> in one sentence, because from that springs everything. Yep. Janeway to Janeway. I've made my decision. Please don't make me call security and have you escorted off my ship because you know I'll do it. Yes. <laughs> I was so, I was so happy as an like as an adult every time I rewatch this episode. I'm like, she's fucking loving this so much. <laughs> but even as a kid, you're like watching the scene, going like, "Wow, this is really cool." <laughs> she's really giving it to herself. Uh, and then how could we forget Janeway saying, "Hello, I'm Captain Captain Janeway. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the bridge." <laughs> yes, it's, it's it's perfect. The perfect chill. And a little bit of sass, and then boom, three, two, one. I suppose it should be the other way around, three, two, one, boom. Do you have any others? Yeah, I think that the, the, the first one, the Starfleet officers, that's like the ultimate quote. It's sort of like it's it's out there with the Coffee yeah. Nebula and several others. It's, it's that's take the true. Sea bay. Yeah. But here's a great character line. For, from Janeway when they're all com- on the damaged Voyager and they're talking about this is after they first made contact with the other Voyager mm-hmm. Janeway, and they're like this has to be a trick or could this be a trick and she's like 
That woman, whoever she is, had very specific knowledge of what happened here. The damage from the proton burst. Wildman's baby, Kess disappearing. She even knew that when I was 12 years old, I walked home in a thunderstorm over seven kilometers because I lost a tennis match. <laughs> what a visual, what an amazing image. What a, perfectly in tune with the character of Janeway that we know. I loved it. It's great. <laughs> and they didn't have to do the scene where it's like, well, how do I know it's really you? Yeah. But that's what it's implied. We know that happened. Um, and I love that that's the story she chose to tell. I think it's great. All right. The Anton Caridian Award for Best Performance. Can there be any doubt? It's Kate Mulgrew. Hands down. Hands down. It's, <laughs> it is truly spectacular. It, it, yeah. I mean, we mentioned, I mentioned the doctor's character growth, you know, this whole thing. That was a lovely addition to the series as a whole. But in terms of, you know... This, this, oh my God, Kate just killed it. That was, it's Is there it's any fantastic. part of the performance that uh, you, that we haven't mentioned that you maybe want to highlight? I don't mean to put you on the spot. If you don't, if you're good, um, then we'll move on. Yeah. Not really. I mean, this okay. whole thing, because it's, it, as a whole, this is a, a fantastic piece of work. Like, you know, specifically for, for Kate's part. And then, of course, as part of the, the uh, again, the ensemble, you know, working with the, everybody else, all the other characters in all the scenes. So, uh, you know, it's, I can't really highlight just one over the other I'm beyond the two Janeway scene, because the whole thing was a spectacularly fully fledged out nice package. So I... I mentioned the scene where Tuvok's giving the damage report and we're seeing mm -hmm. Janeway processing all this. Yeah. When it's the clean Voyager, she's doing the same exact stuff. Like she's having the reaction that you are, but it's like, oh my God, the twists. Like she's understanding the twists of, of the of the event that they're in. And she swallows that too. And she's <laughs> like, well, okay, well now this is the situation. What can we do about it? And her, the way she delivers, hello, I'm Captain Captain Jamie. Welcome to the bridge. Like she's just kind of almost giddy about it, but like she's playing a, a full performance on either side, right? Yeah. It'd almost be, it'd almost be easier to kind of give away one of those sides of the performance, especially the one that doesn't have its feathers ruffled or to be too big when the moment comes and you realize you're on the sinking ship. And she doesn't do that. She's Janeway yeah. through and through. Through and um, through. It's perfect. Great. So, okay. So then the Shatner, this is a challenging one maybe, but who do you have? See, this one, I actually, I couldn't think of anything. I mean, there were moments where I could question like why exactly the actors were doing what they were doing, but that's, you know, that's part of just, you know, the, obviously they had to move specific way because it was being shot at, you know, at yeah. a great pace. So in that regard, I don't feel anyone phoned it in. This was uh, well, Shatner is not about phoning it in. It's no, about no, 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 but, you know, really went for it, and then maybe it went. They went for it, and it was too big, or maybe they just mm, went for no. it in respect that they they went large in the performance. So the no. honorable mention I have are the Vidians, because they're very they're like Phantom of the Operas running around the ship. They're very theatrical. The you, you see, I actually like my, my whole thing with the Vidians in this case, they were very much sort of like the twirl the mustache type of villains in this particular case. Like they had to be just like, okay, there's a big bad that it's very nearly impossible to stop. And yeah, it's yes. just, it's that's a thing. I, I mean, that's my honorable yeah. mention. My mm -hmm. Shatner for this episode though, is Garrett Wong uh, mm -hmm. as, as Harry Kim. And it's because of his dramatic front role, his dramatic <laughs> flinging into space. Where he's screaming and then he gets blown into space and dies, uh, which is still a very haunting and cool visual to this day. Um, although I wonder when they do the um, remaster how that's going to look. But um, there's 
but he has a lot. He's said in subsequent months and years since the episode aired, like it's his favorite son of the series. He said it's his Jackie Chan moment. Like he he had learned earlier. He knew how to do like stage fighting and everyone was very impressed with him. So he's very going for it in this moment. The actor was to yeah. pull it off. And it was cool with the front role and the phaser stunning and being the hero moment. But he's really going for it. It's you not know, bad. Yeah, in, in that case. Bad. In that case, it kind of compares to Jordy's barrel roll. It's like, it doesn't yes. have to be there. Yeah, exactly. No, it's, but it's fun. It's cool and whatever. Uh, what part of this will they teach at Starfleet Academy? Um, I think there's going to be uh, not so much like new entries, because again, this is not the first time a Starfleet captain and the ship have to face a copy of something, you know, the, the entire ship or specific characters. So it's just going to be like a, an addition to what do you do if you get copied. <laughs> um, so it's, it's, a, it's a sort of thing. It's a sort of thing where it's a, it's a, you know, yeah. How do you deal with another one of yourself? How do you, how do you deal with, you know, this particular situation where both copies cannot survive? One will have to be destroyed or die. You know, it, it's a rough thing. So basically how do you make a call uh, in that case, where it's like, okay, and now the moment has come and we all die. So, you know, the, the leadership courses probably will have that kind of like built in somewhere. And then, of course, it's got to be engineering because, you know, you have to deal with, you know, all this sort of thing, establishing communications with primary systems done. Uh, you know, uh, if you find yourself in a situation, your antimatter is disappearing, make sure to check you haven't accidentally gone through a spatial scision, you know, <laughs> that sort of thing. Um, check the doubles. Yeah. And you then just the, the, the something general for people who are not necessarily in command school or dealing with engineering tracks, it's just generally you're uh, a crew member on the ship. Like you said, you know, like they have to find a way of, you know, yeah, you're serving in unusual circumstances, potentially. How do you deal with heavy things? And that is, you know, how do you face the grim situation with dignity? I mean, when, uh, you know, on Broken Voyager and Gene Wayne announces, you know, okay, set the self-destruct. And, you know, there are the crew members. You can see them manning the, 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 the consoles. You know, it's not like you have you know, the, the crew sticks together. They follow. They don't panic. Um, yeah. How do you how do you approach the situations where, OK, we've reached the end. Here we are. Thank you for saying that, because you reminded me that I forgot to mention this during uh, most of its time. I teased this at the beginning. If this episode were done today, I have a very strong sense that. And this is not about the specific people making Star Trek today. I'm just saying if this episode concept came out today, I really strongly feel that part of the dilemma would have been it's them or us. And that does not even get suggested in this episode of like, well, we're the same people and we need to survive and we know how to do it and we have the power. So why are we bothering with this? There would have been some dissent. There would have been some notion of like, these are not like real people. So why do we need to deal with that? If, if it's about our survival, that's what I, I mean, that's, I think it's just because people now today and we're in the post nine 11 world are just, if not meaner, more desperate and, and more closed off, less community focused, less pro pro uh, saving lives, protecting uh, lives that of people who exist. So that's my thought about it. But uh, you're totally right. In, in the Starfleet Academy sense, this is a big ethical question. I mean, that's why Tuvok's moment about, um, you know, the, the logical uh, 
paradox that she found herself in was an interesting one, but in, it doesn't actually really get centered in this episode. I think yeah. they made the episode today that would be centered. And I had for Starfleet Academy, I'm just happy that like the phase discriminators. <laughs> I think like the tech you stuff. Know something? Like- I keep thinking because of this whole thing, you know, like we talked about the subspace and, you know, the, the phase in general phasing, subspace and phasing and all these other things, they kind of just there. The fact that Kim hasn't, he didn't even blink an eye when he just said, yeah, I'm going to rig up the phase discriminators. So there must be already something in there where they're like, yeah, when you're dealing with, you know, phases, you know, this is potential engineering things that you can rig up and see if it works. So I, th- I feel like it's it, there's some technology is probably already there that he's modifying. It's not like, a, you know, the, the skeletal lock that Bellana just randomly came up with when they had to beam somebody out and they couldn't do the regular beaming procedure. That sounded like new. It was like, you know, yeah, that's, that's something new. Yeah, that's what I mean, like... Oh, yeah. I like to imagine anything Jordy LaForge does gets immediately forwarded Probably. all the way <laughs> to Starfleet Command. So like Time Zero is when the, he rigged a phase discriminator to like help them figure out why the phase shift was happening on that planet. Yeah. And then it comes back in um, Timescape. Remember that one where? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. And so it's like and that one, he's able to do it with just these like little bands of tra- like the armbands. So. Um, Harry Kim being an ensign and certainly a very bright and capable officer. I, I like to imagine it's like this is all like a dossier that we have because of the Enterprise. So uh, thanks, to, thanks to what I learned at Starfleet Academy. Um, here's our new question for the season. Could this episode have been hornier and would that have made it better? I thought about this very hard. I mean, seeing that we're in the early seasons and I remember very well how, uh, you know, the whole, uh, I mean, I'm sure everybody is aware of all the, the whole shipping thing. Janeway Chicote has been uh, ever since from the very beginning existed. And then the early seasons, it wasn't so much Paris Torres just yet. It was actually Kim Torres. So those two particular parents, I can totally imagine little moments put in to kind of sprinkle in some kind of like, uh, you know, indication of whatever to make it, you know, I don't know, flirty or whatever. And I think it would have been a horrible mistake. And it's a wonderful thing that they don't have any kind of that kind of interpersonal moments, because I don't think it would have added anything of substance and it would potentially may have wrecked that great pace that we mentioned. So totally in this case, agree. I think, I think, the, I think the answer is absolute no. Yeah, I agree. I mean, again, today they might, there might've been some meta commentary about Janeway and Janeway. But that's about I it. Mean, um, yeah, let me tell you, as being a JC shipper, as I am, actually, uh, I've read fan fiction where that moment of basic, I mean, let's face it, Chakotay doesn't have anything beyond magnetizing the hull and being the strong, supportive, silent, uh, you know, support uh, all throughout this episode. They, you know, it is seen as, you know, the proof as a thing of, yeah, there's this amazing connection between Jane and Chakotay. You can interpret it any way. You know, you can interpret it certainly romantically. But in this case, you know, I think it's just a fantastic, great working report that they have established already by that point in time. Uh, but yeah, again, you, throwing anything in, you know, a little moment by the, I don't know, the, the light of the dying warp core. No, uh, it just it wouldn't have worked. <laughs> That's great. Uh, yeah, I agree. <laughs> so Trek, marry or kill Deadlock, Marina. So for me, absolutely marry. It's, oh, it's, a, fantastic, it's a fantastic <laughs> episode. It delivers on a lot. It has great pace, great acting. We have two Janeways. It's, it literally is, it is got to be in like in top 20, at least, 
and you know some people might even put in top 10 of Voyager throughout seven seasons it it really delivered so I pick Mary Oh, I'm 100% with you. Um, Maybe not as a troll post, but a few years ago, I definitely tweeted out um, some version of like, I think there are only like 20 good episodes of Voyager all all together. Just that's it. And that's part of the reason why I want to do the show is like, well, why don't you revisit that thought, Brian? You're you're being a little too hard on it. Um, But this one, for sure, I've always held in very high esteem. And so to, you know, read in the research that it was, or it was voted the favorite episode of people for season two, which upon review and years later, there's a lot of good episodes in season two. Um, oh, yeah. And this definitely stands above again, peak Brandon Braga. I feel like uh, amazing Janeway performance all the way around really high production values, like the damaged ship, the the direction to really amplify all of that right down to that starship act. Oh yeah. <laughs> because you imagine if they're just doing it and the camera's not moving, that the that doesn't look good at all. <laughs> so it's just like it was really cool. It was a very cool episode that yeah, don't think about it too hard. Like you yeah. said, there's a couple of moments. Yeah, because it, it works. It really works. Yeah. I mean yeah you can nitpick anything to death yeah. and in this case it's like there's really no reason to because it's it's a it's a wonderful yeah. story they get enough of the the stuff to create the reality they get enough of that right to make you go with the rest of it uh, mm-hmm. all right so marina this has been great i'm so glad to have you on it seems like you really took to the format i really appreciate that um, you, this was fun i was really looking forward to talking about this i mean i'm always ready to talk about Janeway and kate especially <laughs> so this this is a treat thank you so much for having me on yeah, is there anything you want to advertise or any person or event or cause you think people should know about? Um, well, um, and those people who never met me, and you already mentioned, um, I am on the convention circuit as much as I can. So I actually, one of the admins uh, for the Star Trek Convention Experiences Facebook group, uh, which is uh, primarily geared towards STLV, Star Trek Las Vegas. Uh, but realistically, you know, any kind of uh, Trek convention that comes along, there are plenty of people in the group who are vets who can advise and uh, just generally having discussions about Star Trek conventions. That's the whole point of the group. Um, I do have my own little uh, 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 podcast that uh, unfortunately is on hiatus in the moment uh, we're recording together with my friend Jesse Akendo. And it's called Surely If Your Star Trek Convention Community Podcast, which is, you guessed it, is about conventions. Um, uh, and uh, of course, uh, thanks to the pandemic, uh, I got into a habit of keeping track of the Star Trek events. Uh, in 2020, all the online activity for the fandom exploded to such a degree that it became nuts to remember all the little meetups and Zooms and online conventions and all this that, you know, I put together a list and it kind of grew over the past three years. And uh, I, I do have it as part of, um, uh, on, well, on my blog is everything that I can dig up at the moment. It's not comprehensive, but I think it's useful for those people who kind of try to gauge anything locally or still online, even though online events kind of really, really shrunk, unfortunately. Uh, but a version of it, it gets published as part of Daily Star Trek News, uh, which is one of the Roddenberry Podcast Network shows. Um, so, you know, check those out. If you're planning to do a convention, I'm always willing to, you know, answer any questions if I know the answer, of course. Uh, and you can find me online, primarily on Facebook, um, Twitter, Instagram, and Blue Sky. Uh, and also threads now. I mean, my God, this this whole thing became almost unbearable. Um, and it's it's I, I I usually use my full name. Uh, if it's not my name, you can find me under my uh, handle, which is Drakorex, D R A K K O R E X, and um, that's really it. You skipped MySpace all those years ago, but you I know, and then just exploded. <laughs> 
listen, I, I, I think I cut myself off at like about 18 or 19 social media apps and I started to call them down <laughs> because I realized there's just no way that I can do everything. <laughs> uh, I'm mostly active on, on the first three. So it's, it's the Facebook and the uh, Twitter and Instagram, but I am trying to move away towards uh, Blue Sky and uh, Threads at the moment. Well, for those of you keeping track, this is our 60th episode of Trek, Mary Kill, and that and Deadlock is our 30th episode that we've married. Um, next week, we're going to continue our split into the month with uh, The Enemy Within from the original series. Kristen will be back. Marina, it's been so great having you. And until next week, everyone out there, TMK out. Bye.